Discord. All right. Uh, welcome to the Woo Pod. I'm your host, Johnny Wu, where you get to spend an hour or more of your time listening to me harass my friends about what they do, what they think about the current state of the world, my personal favorite, Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, for the inaugural pod of the Wood Pod series, I have one of my favorite people of all time, someone I've known for almost an entire decade. Is that crazy? That is so yeah. crazy. Uh, my first guest is Nick Laparty. Hello. Uh, we've been friends, uh, I said off and on. Off and on? <laughs> I'm just kidding. We've been friends for about 10 years. I've known her since well, Johnny, college. you're a pretty elusive person. I am so. very elusive, so that is mostly my fault. Yeah. Uh, we've always been friends, but near and far maybe is the correct way to put it. Yeah. Uh, she's currently best known for Night Toast, an up-and-coming substack uh, that you should follow. Formerly a French bulldog lover, but I don't know what type of dog she likes now. Dachshunds. Dachshunds. Uh-oh. Double dachshunds. <laughs> okay. Uh, and a true lover of aesthetic sunset photos. Is that still true? Mm, I mean, I do love a good sunset. I don't think I take photos of them. I feel like you moved anymore. away from them. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Nicola is an esteemed graduate alum of AIS, home of the Moxie Swoops. What? Is that correct? <laughs> Okay, home of the Eagles. My Googling did not work. Uh, <laughs> former original band member of Sophie from Sophie Tucker. Is that maybe backup dancer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, we were in the Spice Girls together. Spice Girls? Yeah, the okay. First, the original Spice Girls. The OGs. Uh, world renowned for late night dance moves and a recent graduate of LSE with a master's in gender, policy, and inequalities. Is that correct? Wow. She graduated with high honors. I don't know exactly what that means. It's a British, British thing. thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you want to read her thesis, is it DM online? Yeah. DM her it's not on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nicola currently writes an almost weekly newsletter named after her favorite nighttime snack, Night Toast, uh, which you can find on Substack. Um, I'll put it in the newsletter, or sorry, in the podcast notes below. Um, I think so. Today we're just going to cover three parts. Just one. The first part is history of us becoming friends, your mm-hmm. memories. Um, I think part of this is also me trying to remember parts of my life. I'm having a hard time remembering things. Um, it's not because I have dementia, but like uh, my friend Amir texted me today. He was like, hey, last time I saw you four years ago at this place. I was like, I don't even remember. Yeah. So uh, cool. I think part of it is a self diary. Part two is just going to be a bunch of questions about the world today. Uh, you know, how you feel about it. Things have changed. Um, what you're listening to, what you're reading, what you're thinking about. And then the third part, uh, this may change over time, but um, yeah, I want to talk about kind of the future stuff so next 10 years. Kind of like how climate change, the economy. first question is what's your first memory of us meeting well (laughs) I do but I feel like 
By the way, can you hear me okay? Okay, I don't need to like lean in or anything. Um, well, Johnny, your name preceded you at Tufts. So I actually like had heard about you before I met you. Um, but yeah, I, there were just kind of like a number of stories of you at parties, like throwing cakes is what the one that stands out. What? A cake, sheet cake. Does that ring a bell? No. Anyway, maybe people are just telling stories about you that didn't actually happen. But um, I think the first time we met, I was living in Tilton Hall, um, and you were in Bush with all the Bush boys, as yeah. they came to be known. And um, I don't actually remember like the first time we met, but I remember, you know, the trip we obviously took together to, to New York. York. Okay. Yeah, on the Bolt bus. Um, and that's like really the first time we got to know each other. Um, but I imagine we probably met at a party or something. Do you remember? I feel like we met at a party in that way. Yeah. One of those like horrible freshman One year of those parties. Dark, horrible Smelly. parties where you're like, don't know who's the host. Someone texted you to come. You're there with your one friend that told you to go. Yeah. And you're like navigating being a freshman. Yeah. Right? I feel like I remember you telling me a story about how I was very mean to you. Really? Which apparently is like a reoccurring thing, at least in the past and like first memories where like, I think you were sad or shy or something in the corner of the party. Uh huh. I came and accosted you about. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. Man, memory is such a weird thing though, because I, I, like, my first memory of you is really the, the bus ride that we did. Yeah. But now it's coming back. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't having the best first semester freshman year, I would say. Most people were. Yeah. Maybe other people were just, like, better at hiding it. But, yeah, yeah clearly I was. I have chronic sad face, so you probably said <laughs> something about that. And, yeah, the, the rest was history. But, yeah, we both had, a, we both had plans to go visit friends in, in New York. Were we in the same intro to IR class? Is that also? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. I mean, everyone was in that class. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much like everyone I'm now friends with was That's in that true. class. Mufti. Mufti. Legend. Fucking legend. <laughs> uh, I feel like, yeah, we did we did that New York trip. That's when I first met Ari. Yeah. At that bar. And we went to like terrible bars in New York. Like I was wearing heels, heels like stilettos, which is hilarious to think about. Like was this like November? Or yeah, it must have been like time? kind of middle. Yeah, okay. probably like late fall, freshman year. I feel like Denis was also there. Yeah, he met us there. He wasn't on the bus, but I actually remember. Yeah, the first New York night out, we went with Ari to what was described as a club. So we show <laughs> it's up not a club. on whatever, 14th Street or somewhere, and there's clubs, and we're like, oh, cool, we're going to a club, but he pulls us to the other side of the street, at a bar, like a sports bar, a dive bar, yep. and all I remember about that night was, uh, these two girls had fishbowl drinks. Uh-huh, as did we, by the way. As do we, because it was Eventually. the theme of the night, and the DJ could only play the first 30 seconds of every song. Oh, yeah. So it was like, uh, I guess, in a way, like kind of like TikTok terrible terrible you just like get into the song and then it would stop <laughs> um, that was i would say that trip probably was the reason why i moved to new york really yeah just like coming from la 
just seemed so much cooler. Even though the bar was like not yeah. that fun. I think Denis and I went to like a photo studio gallery in like Harlem. Like my aunt took us out to this jazz bar yeah. at night and like Yeah, I, I just think like the November, December um, like trips were like why I ended up loving New York. Yeah. Um, it was also my first introduction to the city. Had you gone, like, before then? Like, once or twice? Um, I had gone because I had visited NYU when I was doing, like, college tours. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, I hadn't really, vi- like, that was the first time I visited alone. Right. Unsupervised. I Unsupervised. But you, your, your trip sounds a lot cooler than mine. Ari and I were, like, kind of new to the city, so, yeah. like, we didn't have a cool aunt to go to, like, art galleries. So it was a pretty... We went well, to, like, Shake Shack in Union <laughs> Square. Well, Shake Shack, what, in 2010 was kind of cool. It was. Right? I thought it was It was, awesome. like, uh, early. We went to Forza Bruta, the um, show. It's, like, this kind of blue man groupish type show. <laughs> yeah, we did, like, very touristy yeah, New York things. stuff. But okay. I had a blast. Do you go to more. Brooklyn at all? Oh, my God. Oh, no, I think you have another trip. <laughs> there was another trip for Ari and I. It was when we were doing college tours. We had bought tickets to an OK Go. Oh my gosh. Sorry. We had bought tickets for to an OK Go concert. OK and we Go? we were under 18. And we uh, went to Brooklyn, and they were like, this is an over 18 show. It was like Williamsburg. And Ari tried to lie to get us in, and he was like, what do you mean? We've come all the way from Boston. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't let us in. We had to take the train back. Um, but no. That trip, I definitely didn't go to. I, like, didn't know what Brooklyn was. Brooklyn didn't exist, I think, in my head until... A year or two into living in New York for me. Yeah. Like, so I like had friends that lived there, 2015, 2016? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like uh, my first memory of Brooklyn was... What was that club that used the... Verboden? Yeah, Verboden. I think I went with you, Charlotte, someone else. Yeah, well, because... That was one of Sophie and Tucker's first, first sets. Okay. Um, they played oh, on yeah. like a Wednesday at like two a.m. and I remember Super napping. Super late. Yeah, <laughs> like napping. Yuna and I both napping and being like, "We gotta go support our friends," <laughs> and waking up at like eleven or twelve and then taking Going. the train to Brooklyn yeah. for that. I feel like Verboten uh, always felt like very deep Brooklyn. Like, uh, it's not. It's not <laughs> at it's, all. It's literally the first stop off of the L. And it's on the water. I had this conversation with Mike recently. He was like, yeah, when I, like, first would go to Brooklyn, I'd be like, yeah, like, I'm in deep Brooklyn. I'm, like, at a Bushwick warehouse. Yeah. <laughs> it turns out it was just for a button. So. Yeah. Rest in peace for a button. We Rest in peace, <laughs> Williamsburg. I feel like, um, I guess, yeah, like, when was the last time you were in New York? Um, I was in New York, for, I mean, for, like, a total of four months this year. I was in New York, obviously, at the beginning of the pandemic, um, before going to Atlanta, and then we came back, we were subletting a place, place, so we came back uh, September and October, and I celebrated my birthday there, and it was like the best time of the year. Like, yeah. Ugh. Still warm. Yeah, really warm. Fallout. Everyone was like super, it, it was that time in the pandemic, at least in New York, where it felt like there was kind of a reprieve. Mm-hmm. And so everyone is out and things felt somewhat normal. You could eat outside and go to the park. Yeah, I think it's still like that in my mind. Like, that's why I'm so excited to go back. Because I'm like, it was such a good experience when I left. Did you write about this in Night Toast? 
Yeah, I, I yeah. was thinking a lot about New York and like ideas of home and like mm-hmm. how New York factors into that around that time of year because I think something also happens when you know you're somewhere for like a given period of time. Like I knew I was leaving again and it was kind of like heartbreak a little yeah. bit. Yeah, like nostalgic, and temporary. Yeah. yeah, and that time, like birthdays are always like that. My birthday's in September. Yeah. And yeah, that, that time of year, like the weather and the, the way that the, like trees change and everything just feels like a reflective period, so. <laughs> no, that makes sense. Yeah, I don't like spring as much. Spring is like my least favorite. I feel like spring is overrated, season. fall is underrated. Big time. Uh, yeah. People tend to be spring maximalists and yeah. fall. Fall is always, yeah, it's a nice, especially in New York because it's like warm. You still have like the later summer days. Yeah. Um, and I feel like Brooklyn, there's just like so much to do in the fall, like outside. Yeah. So it makes sense. And everyone is like, it's that kind of limited period thing where it's like you know what's coming and like mm-hmm. there's only a few days of like warmth and sunlight left and so it makes you like savor it a lot more whereas like spring things are still kind of shitty you know it's going to get better so you're like just speed up time like you're not trying to slow yeah. down time or it's like i feel like in new york there was always like the one weekend in like march or april you're like oh it's summer it's coming and mm-hmm. then it would snow again and then it's like oh drinking <laughs> uh, i was friend today and they're like yeah it was like 70 and sunny this weekend but yeah. it's cold again my so. mom and sister are flying in tonight um to look at apartments here Wow. Yeah, and it's like 64 degrees. Okay. Which is pretty crazy. And then it's snowing like next week when we get back. <laughs> uh, okay, so you're moving back. Uh, yeah, that's Are you fun. excited? I am very excited. Okay. Um, yeah, I just, I don't really feel like my time in New York is finished yet. There. Um, but I, I, like, I understand the feeling of being finished with New York because I think I've temporarily felt like that when I moved to London, where mm-hmm. I was, like... Put a pause. Yeah, working crazy hours at my job, feeling, like, I don't know, just really overwhelmed by, like, the harshness of the city, like, commuting every yeah. day. And, you know, our social calendars were pretty full then, too. It's so it was just, busy. like, yeah. go, go, go. And, and it was, like, the phase of life where you're, like constantly afraid of missing out so you just do everything and like I'm kind of excited well when I moved back to New York I think I was excited to like experience it in a more relaxing or slow mm-hmm. paced way but then the pandemic hit and I was like this is way too slow <laughs> okay. so I think yeah I'm excited for this next this next time around because I think hopefully I'll get some of what I was looking for so. um do you feel like New York is just another chapter of where you will be in the future? Do you feel like New York could be somewhere you want to stay long term? Like has obviously this past year changed how you feel about that? Yeah, it's so hard to say. I don't know. Like I wish I knew. Yeah. Because I think feelings, especially about New York, can be so hot and cold and yeah. right now it's really hot for me right but you know the elephant in the room is like it's just a super expensive place to live it's expensive you might have a really nice apartment but when you and whoever you're living with is also working from home yeah all of a sudden that space is smaller yeah I would, a lot. if 
I can make it work, I would love to live in New York. Mm -hmm. But I also really like it here. I also really like it in Atlanta. Like, I love the heat. I love having space. But like, yeah, I think the cultural or like the energy part is at this stage of my life. I feel like um, New York's hard to beat in so many ways, but I think, yeah, what you're talking about, like the hot and cold of like the reality of being there every single day of every week, of every month, of every yeah. season, it kind of ends up being tiring. Like, yeah. I feel like we talked about this, but like a lot of people I know from New York have moved temporarily, have moved semi-permanently. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does feel like, uh, yeah, there's like this kind of unknown transition of like, is it gonna come back, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people I know have are like summering or wintering in Miami in their <laughs> 20s and 30s. There's snowbirds full right, of Right, like all of a sudden, like all of the, you know, I don't know, Manhattan friends I had are like always in Miami. Um, well, how do you feel about it? Because you are, I guess you were never fully like sold on New York. Now that I think of it, I yeah, I I have a hard time being fully sold on any place. That's true. Which is more a symptom of me than the place. Uh, but I feel like New York was at least for the time between like twenty five and thirty, or you know twenty five to twenty eight, I guess. So like only three years was like the perfect time to be in New York. Yeah. Um, like, I think about going back now, and it's, like, would I want to live in my old apartments? Probably not. Like, would I want to live in a bigger apartment? Yes. <laughs> when I look at what bigger apartments in the city look like, right? Yeah. And also, like, I think being away during the pandemic and seeing people who are New Yorkers who have stayed, mm-hmm. like, I'm, yeah, I, I think I'm just a kid from L.A. that, like, likes <laughs> New York a lot, but, like, you know, I'm not going to cut it, you Yeah. Know? You know, and I think New York's that like really beautifully special place where it's like it has so much history and grit and has like so much to offer for people, but I don't know, maybe I'm just not, you know. Yeah, <laughs> cut no. Out. But yeah. All of that's true. Um all right. So I feel like we covered some stuff. Um Maybe let's switch up it, switch it up a little bit, and talk about kind of things you've been reading, thinking about, right? Um, mm. I guess maybe to start off to make it easy, kind of like what's a book that you've read recently or a reading that has been kind of top of mind, has helped you kind of think about the world differently, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, well, I'm very late to the party, but I just started reading Sally Rooney's novels. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it about? <laughs> well, there's, okay, there's the first, I think this is the first one, but the one that I read first is called Normal People. There was a HBO show, and I really wanted to watch the HBO show, but I wanted to read the yeah, book first. Um, so I read that not too long ago, and now I'm reading her second novel called Conversations with Friends. And, um, I mean, they're hugely popular books. This is not original in any way, but, um, yeah, she's like a young Irish novelist. She is pretty, um, I would say her writing style is very, like, very 
plain spoken but complex in what it's communicating mm -hmm. and she writes mostly about like love stories or like relationships between people and she's really good at kind of understanding the dynamics between lovers and friends and mm -hmm. all three all two, those two things together um but normal people was interesting i like I always do this after I read a book, like, get really into, like, looking at, like, Wikipedia pages yeah. and interviews, and, like, I want to know everything like about the, the world. the universe around the world, okay. Yeah, but the kind of smartest way I heard it described uh, was as a, a Marxist or social, yeah, a Marxist view of romantic relationships. Oh, interesting. Which is to say, she was the author, Sally Rooney, was raised in a very, like, socialist, Marxist... Community. Household, her household. parents were. Yeah. And her parents raised her with this saying, like, it's, like, straight from a communist manifesto, <laughs> um, to each their own abilities. Mm -hmm. I'm going to screw it up. But basically, everyone has their own set of abilities, and you share what you can for the greater of the good. Mm -hmm. And so she applies that basically to a romantic love situation, okay. where it's a kind of classic story. Normal people's about a classic story between rich girl, yeah. poor guy. But she kind of explores the gender dynamics and like privilege, the privilege that each of them have. So she has obviously financial, economic privilege, privilege and he has, you know male privilege or at the beginning social privilege and how they use their privileges to kind of protect each other and how it's kind of this like balancing act throughout the years that they're together so it takes place over it, it starts in high school and then it goes through college and then after college and you see the kind of like teetering seesaw of their power dynamics but it's like held together by love um so that was like really i've never heard of yeah, yeah anything like that and that was pretty cool um yeah, and I just started her second novel, which is pretty different so far. Have you noticed uh, since last year in the pandemic, have you like wanted to read different styles of books, or have you kind of just kept going? Uh, and like, I guess maybe the question is, what were you reading? Like the types of book, what were you reading beforehand? Yeah. Obviously, like you were just finishing grad school, so. Yeah, I mean it's funny you bring up grad school because. Like, I didn't really think that played so much into what I was reading, but yeah, I was pretty much only reading like nonfiction before mm -hmm. the pandemic, and then something about the pandemic made me want to, <laughs> I guess it's the escapism, but yeah. I was never really into reading fiction or novels, and now I'm like, that's all I want to read. I yeah. don't want to read like long form essays about like real things. Right. Um, yeah, I, I would imagine that's something a lot of people are experiencing just in terms of like watching more movies or like yeah just escapism like leaning towards fiction as a way to kind of process and escape what's been happening yeah it's uh i was talking to lou about this but basically like it felt like the last year a lot of the things i've been consuming have been escapism or stories or worlds that are not necessarily in the today and now yeah because i think it's a hard place to process what is going on around you yeah the news that's you're reading and listening to and then also read about like i don't know the 
Like I picked up a book recently, like about the opioid crisis and capitalism, and it's like it's yeah. an interesting read, but it's it's very heavy to read that on top of like this past year and like what they. Yeah, and the authors wrote a like a March cover update, basically saying we didn't predict you know 2020, but like what we're seeing with opioid crisis and you know uh, disparity of wealth and all that, that um, it's also having a huge impact on who's being negatively affected by you know, the coronavirus and the pandemic. Yeah. And it's like, I'm, I think I'm finally getting to a place where like, I do want to read and do a lot of like mental thinking about these things, but like, for the last nine months, it's been like, uh, I watched an anime show about volleyball with Lou. <laughs> it was amazing, right? Uh, like, I've watched like every semi-significant or insignificant Netflix series. Same. Like, it's gone to the point where I can't go on Netflix because I've either watched it or I'm waiting for the next season or something. I know. And it's kind of, like, this weird, like, realization, like, I always thought of Netflix as, like, too much content, and now I'm, like, I remember at some point, you know, the last six months, I, like, I select titles that are releasing in the future. Oh, so you get an alert? Yeah, so I've gotten to the point where it's, like, the current stuff is not enough for me to consume, which is Damn. a you weird gotta get place. on Hulu or HBO or something. Yeah, um, I'm. I think my goal for this year is to just kind of do less TV watching because last year I did enough TV watching, probably for like five to ten years. Yeah, I, I, spent. Uh, I watch every show. I like have a watch list on my phone of like yeah. shows that I want to watch, and typically like I don't get a chance to really touch anything on it, but. I just plowed through it this year, like, watched every show right. I've ever, like, wondered anything about. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, as it relates to the, like, nonfiction fiction thing, I feel like there's so much analysis happening all Hot of the time. on everything. Yeah, and anything. there was a time when that felt, like, really informative and energizing to read. Mm-hmm. But I, I've also been feeling this way in my, like, writing too you know when I first graduated I thought I was going to like make it as a freelance writer only (laughs) Mm -hmm. and was pitching pieces yeah like uh, nonfiction pieces um, and trying to keep up with the news cycle or not just news but like the culture cycle and it was just exhausting like it was it was kind of drawing me away from that like inner source or that like source of energy and reading that reading that kind of material was also doing that was making me really cynical and like you know obviously you can't like turn your back on like what's happening in the world and I think we all have a responsibility to like care about that and stay informed but also it's only so much I feel like you can yeah and day-to-day basis and that's part of the reason I started Night Toast because it was like a place where I could explore more like abstract, yeah. not strategic <laughs> stories or things I was thinking about that was really for nobody except myself. Yeah. And I think that the kind of leaning towards like fiction reading is also a part of that, <laughs> where it was just like a place where you can explore other worlds and expand your own understanding of like the world around you in yeah. a way that doesn't fit into like the current framework or way of doing things, which is really important. Yeah. I feel like um, I feel like maybe since college I've read some of your stuff 
and I've always really enjoyed your voice and like your tone and how you talk about things. Um, but I feel like passively getting your night toast like emails have been like uh, this interesting like uh, expansion of like maybe how I know you like through our friendship, mm. but like your voice is just so much bigger and it makes sense yeah but it's just i guess like maybe in the day-to-day of conversations or texting or you don't really get that and even i guess maybe like in some of your other stuff like you were saying like there's a point behind it whereas this is like kind of an exploration of your mind and like what you're thinking yeah um, i don't think my like writing voice sounds anything like my actual voice uh it doesn't sound the same but how do you put it it's like it's like a glacier like there's just a lot more depth to your writing voice <laughs> yeah right? which like you can there's a sense that it's there but it's obviously hard to be like super eloquent in every conversation you have about everything yeah if i could just write my thoughts always and never yeah. have to speak again i would be totally fine with that um but it's been really nice uh, just kind of seeing uh through your lens like what you're experiencing without it necessarily being a conversation which is kind of interesting at a teacher of mine from San Francisco he recently got off social media and he said follow my Substack." and I thought yeah. it was like a hilariously uh, interesting way of like um, keeping up with someone because I feel like with social media now it's very performative yeah right? it's very visual uh, there's obviously text but it's very like a visual storytelling um, and I feel like some people are just like better writers like where they the things they want to talk about or express like his is more like a diary of like what him and his wife and their dog do that's, that's cool. kind of like really cute because like you get like depth to the experience yeah um whereas like normally I don't know, on instagram you might post a waterfall picture in, in the summer winter and like that's it like it has the location but like he talks about the waterfall and their drive there yeah um i hope that substack doesn't become so competitive and i fear that that is the direction it's going though yeah because i think like the thing you're talking about of like performative like performativity or this kind of artificial nature of instagram Mm -hmm. is because all of us are on it and we understand how the algorithm works now and we're playing to the algorithm and like right now i don't charge anyone anything for my sub stack and i think if i did it would affect what I write about because yeah. those metrics I see the metrics every week and I do oh, check I them see. Okay. So I definitely do check them yeah. but like I can still tell myself like oh this is just because I care about who reads what you know I write mm-hmm. but it's very it's a pretty like shallow slope into you know tailoring what you write about or tailoring what you put out there for the audience right mm-hmm. I don't know it's, uh, it's something I think about all the time and yeah. I don't really know how I feel about it, but I feel like I could see you having a, a paid Substack of something you want to write about and like a more personal Substack yeah. where you write and people enjoy. I feel like there's space for that. I guess in the way that there's a Finsta and an Insta. Uh, I don't know about <laughs> TikTok. Oh, um, by the way, I got a new Finsta. Okay. You gotta follow it. Okay. Because well, I got locked out of my old one. <laughs> they locked me uh, out. You should DM me so we don't put it out there. I mean, it's out. private. It's Ficola, Ficola Nardi. Ficola Nardi. My okay. old one is Pickle and Nardi, but this is fake. Yeah. Pickle and Nardi. This is meta meta. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, I guess, yeah, outside of like Substack, 
what else have like social media wise like what have you been using have you been discovering other things uh, I feel yeah. like I haven't used social media in a while but recently I'm starting to like explore because like Instagram's it's fine if honestly it feels like uh, Facebook was coming out of college which is like you post on there for the whatever few hundred or few thousand people that passively observe your life so yeah. it's like a little announcement place but other than that it's not really like your space to do or say or explore mm-hmm. um, so yeah I guess like what have you been using are you still on Instagram a lot obviously consuming stuff but yeah I'm still on Instagram I would say I am not posting on it nearly as much as I once was even like a couple months ago mm-hmm. um and I think it's for the reason that everyone kind of is, where it just doesn't feel, it doesn't feel good to do it anymore for the it's most like performative part. performative and kind of almost feels... Yeah, like the very selfish. mechanics that make Instagram Instagram are like showing off that your life is awesome. And right, during a pandemic. During a pandemic when everyone's had such a hard year and like, I've had, you know, like you've had a hard year, I've had a hard year, but yeah. like posting that just feels, um, I don't know, not true. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think everyone's Instagram has had many different phases when I think about how I've used Instagram before. I was like going full, when I worked at Refinery, I was like full, like going blogger girl, like just sharing, you know, everything (laughs) too much. (laughs) Um, and then when I was over in the UK and I was traveling a lot, I was treating it more as like a travel log Mm -hmm. where I would post my like film photos. Yeah. And then... What about now? I mean, now, I don't even know. That's why I'm not yeah. posting on it. I have no idea what I'm doing anymore. But I think I think I like the idea of, like, using it as a place for photography because I, I still love taking photos, and I've been taking yeah. a lot of photos this year. Um, I haven't really been posting them that much, but, like, you take photos to be seen and... Mm-hmm. Shared and yeah. remembered. Yeah. So I think maybe that, that will be my next content strategy. So, <laughs> Retirement account, digital diary. Yeah, yeah. Visual references. Okay. Yeah, I've noticed a lot of people this year who used to post a lot where obviously there's a social stigma or... Well, there's people that just keep posting about their lives. Yeah, people just just bless. Bless Hashtag bless. (laughs) Um, But I've noticed a lot of a... uh, This style, which is, I think, different, which is like uh, a look back on the month like where you take oh, your yeah. camera roll and you like highlight stuff yeah and I, I was thinking about the other day it's like um it's no longer cool to like f- outwardly flex how you're traveling while people are staying home like mm-hmm. how you're skirting you know social expectations by doing stuff but there's like a sliver of space for you to like be nostalgic about like the previous month and it kind of sits okay like it's yeah um but also, like, on the flip side, I feel like some of those posts, you're like, oh, wow, like, you went, like, to all these places. Yeah, and the thing I don't understand yeah. is, so I've been seeing a lot of people do that with stories, especially where they're like, I unplug during the weekend, and then on Sunday or Monday, I post, like, everything that I've done, uh, which I can understand, like, you know, segmenting, like, trying to, like, not be on your phone mm-hmm. for that period of time, but, like, it's so much bigger than that. It's so much deeper than that. Like, if you're, thi- like, even if you're not posting on social media during that time you're clearly thinking about it and capturing content to then post later right because it actually you know 
Instagram is in the mind now, you know, like it's subversively in your mind. Yeah. yeah. And so if I'm eating a delicious meal, even if I'm not posting it in real time, I'm still thinking about maybe I'll have these colorful tomatoes because (laughs) they look better against this plate. Yeah. And that is the part that kind of also has been like unsettling to me or think I think that like I've been moving more away from. It's Mm -hmm. just like this thing is impacting our behavior in really subtle ways and some, you know, in isolation it's super neutral and and fine but like who would you be if you weren't thinking about these things what would what would your tastes be like i think about that all the time like so much of my taste is shit i see on instagram Mm -hmm. that's fed to me by an algorithm right it's servicing what engages you the most so yeah it's almost like the algorithms are finding your taste for you based on your subconscious reactions and flattening all of our tastes so much to the point where like have you ever had that experience where you think you've discovered something cool yeah. and you're like oh this is gonna be my new style <laughs> and then you like walk around the corner and someone is wearing that exact same thing yeah probably because you're like living in you passively know, we're in venice yeah. right now so like you're in that you know geo location like, you yeah. go to that coffee shop right. you wear these types of shoes so they can triangulate you follow these brands so they can triangulate like yeah. what what's the cool new thing for you and then everyone's on that cool new thing yeah. I feel like Ford Broncos are in all of a sudden. Ford no. Broncos, really? Yeah. I missed that one. It's it's like new. I feel like since the summer, like I feel like uh, in Manhattan Beach in Venice, you see like these like like baby blue pink Ford Broncos that are restored, and it's like hmm. I've noticed it on Instagram. It started out like I think Ford Broncos have always been popular amongst I don't know, like guys who are like in their thirties, forties and want to spend no money, but like recently it's been like these like I don't know whether it's TikTok or something there's like influencers but like everyone wants a Ford Bronco wait Kaylin just sent me something today I bet it was a Ford Bronco probably was um like there's a Ford Bronco vintage restore down the street now oh my god it literally is yeah there we go Oh, it's the new Ford Bronco. So I think, yeah, yeah. because of that, everyone's kind of going back to the nostalgic. Yeah, 2021 Ford four Bronco. 4x4 Ford Bronco. Yeah, he was teasing Natalie because she's moving to Brooklyn. And he's like, you should get might be those. different to park in NYC, but still cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So I guess outside of Instagram, have you been using TikTok? Um, have you been using, what else is there? I guess Substack you're writing on but yeah i would say that's been the twitter 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 i'm on but i'm similarly taking a step back Mm -hmm. i had to i like don't have the app on my phone anymore yeah and like sneaky me was going on browser like what looking at on browser so i had to actually uninstall or unlog out out, which is which is where i'm at right now okay um but yeah i would say substack is kind of the place i'm most interested in or most want to be um there's so many interesting my inbox is like full of universes right now and i don't have time to like go into all of them but i like the option to um i also discovered this new app um it's an instagram account but they also have an app and it's like a platform it's called urbina Uh i haven't actually posted anything on it but Basically, from what I understand, this is it, you can, wait, explore, 
Okay. Yeah. It's kind of like an inspiration board and people post blocks and from what I understand it's like kind of like papers, like academic papers and film clips mm -hmm. and design inspiration. I like um, it. It's like really minimal and you yeah. just add to it. So it's and like a mix of visual plus like written content. Yeah, I don't really know how it functions as a social app yet, but yeah. I follow their Instagram account, and it's like, it's the account that I like the most, you know, like I engage On with the Instagram. most. On Instagram, okay. Yeah, because they post like really interesting ideas yeah. and pieces of language, and yeah. This so is cool. Yeah, you should sign up. But don't Irene, tell everyone, because no. okay. we want to keep it special. Yeah, I feel like um, on the social media spectrum, we are not the first adopters but we're not all i would say we're earlier in our friend groups of people like yeah i feel like you were on instagram very early yeah i was i have a photo of us from like 2013 yeah right at, at a zeta frat party zeta frat party i think i have one of you in vietnam uh-huh yeah that was, was when like instagram was really popping off just yeah like in terms of like a travel log type travel log exactly so yeah i've been I guess on my end, yeah, like I, I was on TikTok in the beginning of COVID and uh, during the summer with the protests. Mm -hmm. uh, it just got to be a lot, and then yeah. I think also the unnerving piece, which is ironic, is like I had like a security fear that you know, like the Chinese company was pulling all our data, but ironically, like Facebook does that as well, Google yeah. doesn't, so I deleted it then. Um, but now I see a lot of that same content on like reels. That's what I do. Yeah, which is like I get, which is it obviously dates you to the segment of the demographic where Instagram knows you you don't want to move off platform. Yeah. You just want that same content, right? But that's when, when you know it's the death of a platform, right? It's like when all the best content is just reposted from other content. Right, like Snapchat platforms. and Stories now TikTok with reels. Yeah. I, mean, I basically call Instagram the new Facebook. Yeah, basically. And You're like, so we're right. just not ready to admit how embarrassing it is to continue to use it the way it is. <laughs> embarrassing is exactly the right word. Have you had that phase yet where you like go back to your old like yeah. old post and you're like, what? The what was hell? I saying? What, what was I hashtags? taking a photo of? What are these hashtags? And like quietly just archive them. Like, right. oh no. What are these color filters? Like, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's starting to get that place where I the same excuse I use for Facebook or used to was like, well, it's an archive of like my memories, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I don't know. It it feels yeah, it feels like maybe in college when Facebook became something your aunts and uncles and family use. Now mm -hmm. like I you know I'm starting to see like extended family mm -hmm. and like and it's totally fine. It's just kind of like. Um, yeah, people always talk about like Instagram used to be interesting and cool. Yeah. Now it has the ads, and now you it's have your moms. So it's basically you know. a shopping mall now. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I like clicking on the ads, and they yeah. work. But like, yeah, there's not a lot of I think like value outside of like the entertainment. Yeah. Um, which I think is something I've been thinking about a lot. Like, uh, I've been using Clubhouse a lot recently. Yeah. Um, I was on it for a hot second. It didn't really. Like, yeah. It wasn't really my people. My guess is like uh, Clubhouse takes hold in like different types of communities. Like uh, I think there's a large and really interesting like sub, like hip hop, like mm -hmm. 
like African American, like Southern type of like I'll see groups that are like really? yeah Twenty One Savage hosts a group like every night. Yeah, I guess I still don't. So there's like a flattening I think of like your world, yeah. um, and I think it it only works when you get on there and there's stuff like you're like oh I love X Y Z people. Yeah. This is crazy. I can get on stage with them and ask them questions. Yeah. Um, so I think Clubhouse. I was very anti-Clubhouse in the beginning because it was very, like, tech-focused and VC and if you got an invite. Um, but now, like, I'm starting to see the value of it. It's, like, uh, it's not very stylized. It's not very pre-edited. It's, I would say it's also not very user-friendly. Like, as someone yeah. coming in with not a lot of yeah context for what it was, mm-hmm. I found it really difficult to Yeah. Use. It's a whole... It's definitely a new concept. The best way I was talking about it is it's, like, a... Uh, if you ever listen to podcasts where it's like actually just a speaker series and people yeah, ask questions, that you know, sounds cool. It's like a table. What is that like Facebook thing that uh, Will Smith's family does? The red table. Oh, I love the red table. So basically, like it's kind of like that, but like imagine if you could go on the show during the show to ask questions about whatever. So you can ask questions live. Yeah. So I think that's kind of cool. It's like the mix of like um, I guess like live talks or conferences that you might get used to, and then. But what's nice is since it's digital, it's like mostly an open format. So like, uh, like you just get like people that you would never really get access to and talking on there. It's, it's ephemeral, cool. right? Like it goes away. After it's extremely it ephemeral. I think that is the future. That is like a value we're yeah. going to take into the which is what I like media. because like smaller groups, private yeah. rooms, mm-hmm. and ephemeral ephemerality topics. or yeah. whatever the word is. It like, kind of gives you a safe space to talk about issues or things in real time in the way that Twitter kind of does but instead of being so gossipy and misinformation I think what's interesting about um, Clubhouse is you end up having to like connect to one of your social media accounts so you kind of have to have some social proof you can't just be a troll you have to be invited so people know who invited you yeah and I think the downside of that is it kind of feels like a invite only but the upside is there's some social proof around okay if I invite Nicola and she's just like drunk and yelling <laughs> at people like people will like report her and then like they'll check on her profile and, and that's say, bad on you too so there's some Johnny like invited Nicola exactly yeah so there is like this weird interesting thing where it's like I think the internet allows for people to be uh, like the worst versions of themselves because there's no real social need to check yourself but because the platform's kind of like uh you get invited by one person or two it's yeah. very obvious like uh who that might change down the road but i think it's it's kind of cool for stuff like um uh i don't know just like random things that come up in a night like there was like a megan markle yeah harry room and it was interesting to hear like people from britain talking on it with people from you know the states and just like live getting people's takes yeah um, well like there's a social glue to those conversations yeah. i think that's also what is missing from twitter and instagram and i actually was talking with linnea sims about this recently i interviewed her for night toast and yeah. we were talking about online communities and online community building and she was saying a lot of this like basically the glue on instagram now is the platform itself Mm-hmm. Like, we're all on there because you have to be on there right. if you want to have some sort of online social life mm-hmm. versus, you know, 
I think the future of where social media platforms are going and kind of like what you're describing is like these smaller niche mm-hmm. communities where you all kind of understand why each of you are there. Right. And there's, like you said, some social accountability where if you are just a total troll that like... Right, you get blocked, you get muted. Yeah, the, you know. this community doesn't really do that. I think... I just thought of an an analogy of it. It's uh, Instagram and Facebook kind of feels like an airport Mm -hmm. where, like, Mm -hmm. yes, you kind of get to select, but, like, at this point, like, with ads and discovery, it's, like, it's, like, everyone's on there. It's, like, every part of your life of people you followed or, like, sometimes I'll post something or, and I'll see someone from high school watches it and it's, like, this weird, like, kind of, yeah, like bizarre feeling and then like on clubhouse or like even substack it's like you kind of i guess it's kind of like a town hall you go because you're interested in whatever the conversation is happening yeah um and i like it because of the ephemerality of like it's not like a podcast where i feel like a lot of podcasts now seem very performative as well it's like today we're talking about (laughs) and it's like expert x and it's like well everyone's an expert in everything yeah um so I've been using Clubhouse a lot. It's been really good since I'm getting bored of like Netflix shows. Um, I've been really into podcasts. I would say for podcasts, that yeah. The I like, podcast world yeah. is just—it's unbelievable how much it's grown. Yeah. Over the last like five years. I do feel like uh, podcasts are reaching its like nadir. Threshold. Yeah, like when Joe Rogan gets a whatever. 500 million dollar deal from Spotify Megan Markle get a 50 million dollar deal it's like um, yeah it's like when everyone's shouting there's like too much content right so I think this ephemerality and like the niche community stuff you're talking about is like where I think stuff on the internet is going and is the most interesting and you can be part of multiple communities like you might be a vegan or you might be really into like or Broncos and you just go to this yeah but also thing. like maybe your vegan friends aren't gonna vibe with your Ford Bronco friends like that's how it and works that's in fine. real life yeah, yeah. where it's like there are certain people I would never mix right. because I know that like I'm the connected tissue and like I can vibe with, they see a side of me here mm-hmm. they see a side of me there they're both yeah. real sides of me but like you don't have to if share. we all got in a room together there might be a little tension and if you expand that by millions of people doing right. the same thing there's gonna be a lot of tension Yeah. and that's I think what's happened I feel like this year has given everyone the excuse to stop being so performative and like just go find like what bubbles of people you want to spend time with in different days and weeks of your life and wherever you're at. Like, um, I feel like especially in New York, I always felt the need to want to like integrate everything, and now I'm like much more comfortable with like integrating when it makes sense, but also like very much enjoying the separation and like spending time with individuals or like people yeah so when you say integration what do you mean i feel like in new york i was always thinking about who would be friends with who yeah there was a constant and it was obviously something about new york there's like an energy of wanting you know your friends to be friends with your other friends and the social nature of that but i think at some points it's like it's also nice when I think back about why I like New York when I first moved there was like there's all these pockets of people that I could spend time with Mm -hmm. and didn't really have to be not so much performative but like managing people's expectations or whatever and I feel like this year you know uh, it's been nice to just like spend a lot of time with like you know one or two people like I spent three months with Mike in Portugal 
like good and bad it was like a lot of fun but like hi, it was hi mike um you know we, we surfed a lot but like there wasn't a need to like you know uh do that and then also worry about like maintaining all these other like disparate like hangout friends at the same time it was kind of like it's feels like it's been okay this year to like live your life do what you need check in with the people when you need yeah and like just I guess like kind of reset this like weird yeah like performative online identity thing yeah that, like, I mean it's exactly of like one of the same of what we were talking about was it mirrors online life yeah and like when I was writing about this for um I wrote a like a newsletter called online people and it was about exactly what we're talking about mm-hmm. and like um the way I introduced it was talking about freshman year parties, which is relevant yeah, to our background. For sure. But, like, yeah, it's that same element of competition that, like, you have when you're, like, a freshman in a party. And, like, no one really knows where anyone else is from or what who they really are. Mm-hmm. So everyone's trying to, like, Posture, perform their perform. personality or their humor or, like, some desirable trait so that they're kind of recognized by the group. Mm-hmm. And it's... It's, it feels like that same, those like early days of college are now happening online. I mean, it was kind of always that way, but I think we're all just like waking up to it now. We're like actually yeah. posting on social media all the time and looking like an interesting person does not make you an right. interesting person. Yeah. You are really an interesting person <laughs> if you're you an are. interesting person yeah. and you don't have to assert that all the time. Right. That's very freshman year mentality. <laughs> I like that analogy a lot, actually. It feels like Instagram, Facebook, even I guess Snapchat was always yeah that like freshman sophomore year feeling of needing to show show up socially yeah. yeah in whatever context that meant and consistently always show up. And I guess maybe like with like yeah like Substack or Clubhouse or whatever these things it's like you're like on campus but you're not necessarily always doing the same thing with everyone or always mm-hmm. sharing everything it's like not just going out it's like you're going to whatever thing interests you mm-hmm. and like if you happen to overlap with people that's cool mm-hmm. um but it's not always just like hey we're all meeting out on a tuesday mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just yelling yeah which i feel like is a much healthier balance hopefully i don't know yeah and i find at least like with you it's like it's cool to like hear and see like more depth to like your thoughts in a way that like you know post on instagram or even just like it's impossible to know it's impossible yeah Yeah. and the reality is like the way social media works is you don't have that ephemerality so like anything you post is always there yeah and like the most the best part about social interactions or relationships is how fluid they are and how you know, we're talking now, okay, we're recording this, this is a bad example, but say we weren't recording <laughs> this, that yeah. like, we'll take that with us in mm-hmm. our own way, but it's kind of between us, right? And yeah. it's not something out no. to the public, we're not performing it for the public. Right, you're not broadcasting. I'm not tagging you, right. like, in real life, being like, <laughs> I was with Johnny. But, yeah, the, the most valuable thing that comes out of these interactions is something only you can really take with you, or the other mm-hmm. person can take with yeah. you. And it's very invisible. I would say. Yeah. Um, my hope is like the internet goes from this, yeah, like large airport style place where everyone's yelling, which yeah. I think I feel like 2020 was like the apex of it with like 
the elections, the pandemic, misinformation, protests, oh everything. It was basically yeah. like everyone feeling like they were hurt, being heard, but everyone needing to yell at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I think the internet's value is connecting people wherever mm-hmm. they are, but it's not necessarily putting everyone in the same box. Yeah, or, the airport image is exactly yeah. right. Uh, chaos. Just chaos. chaos. It's absolutely chaos. And it's like shopping and chaos. Shopping and chaos. Yeah. And <laughs> if you know someone Duty says fire, chaos. right, it's gonna spread. So uh, I think it'll be interesting this decade, like how people move away from this. I think people are realizing your privacy doesn't really matter, right? These platforms. What do you mean? It doesn't really. Oh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it matters but like these platforms don't really care you know governments want your data um and also like i think for me the big takeaway was like these large platforms that we all use can silence you based on you know good or bad like it's the ability for one person or a group of 20 people who have no like uh i don't know elected position to just determine this is kind of a dangerous i think precedent where it's like you silence people and it's like we always talk about democracy versus authoritarianism and it's like it's when you can silence someone across the entire globe you know i think it's uh you get into dangerous territory so it's like my hope is i don't know yeah you get these smaller niche communities that use technology to communicate but it's not this bizarre of millions or billions of people, you know? yeah i mean and i think that we're still kind of trained to think about tech as like startups yeah yeah like i just remember you know it was like the coolest thing when we were in college if you could work for twitter or facebook and and it's still cool now and i have a lot of friends i i myself you know work for yeah google subsidiary (laughs) yeah so but it it it's not that anymore it's the they are the nexus of power right they are the corporations like yeah and I think that they're responsible for, they have a huge responsibility, like you said, to understand themselves as that too, because I think a lot of companies still think of themselves as like the little Smart. guy, and yeah. it couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah, so I think we'll see, but coming up on 58 minutes, which is wild. Whoa, really? Um, which is, is a good thing. Are you editing these, or are you just going to... I might cut out some plain noise, but I think everyone keeps asking me like what is the topics and I was like I, for me it's I kind of want to freeform and see how it goes um, again I don't want to be performative about it uh, I don't want to have like a single topic because I think it's like one dimensional to always I don't know and I'm also not a person who's going to like write a ton of content write a ton of no questions and then like I yeah, just want it to be more. more like a conversation with friends about what you know, they're doing conversation with friends that's the book there I'm reading go. right now Exactly. Yeah. I stole that one. Um, yeah, I'm going to stop this. Okay. But we can always keep talking. But, um... No, now we have to stop talking. Yeah. How do we... Okay.